Hello and welcome to yet another Talk Neuricity podcast. We are flying out the exclusives at the moment and I am so, so excited to be speaking to this guy today. It's the first time that we've had a Premier League winner on the TNC podcast. Of course, former Manchester United midfielder, England under-21 international, also a player for Royal Antwerp, Reading, Burnley, West Ham United, Stoke. I'm getting through the clubs, Luke. MK Dons, Cambridge United, Soham Town Rangers, and of course, Norwich City. Just 16 Norwich City appearances, but a super interesting tale to tell. Welcome to the Talk Norwich City podcast, of course, Luke Chadwick. Luke, first of all, thank you so much for coming on today and giving us some of your time. How are things with you? Yeah, all good, thank you. Looking forward to having a having a chat. I'm gonna I'm gonna reel out those yellow and green memories. I'm really <laughs> I know a lot of people have requested you, so I'm really excited to get into this. And, and let's let's kick off with, you know, going back to the start, if that's okay. Um, obviously you, you're a Cambridge boy. And how the hell did you get scouted and, and end up at Manchester United? Yeah, um, I was I was playing for the Cambridge schools team at the time, and believe it or not, scoring loads and loads of goals every week and forging. <laughs> quite a reputation as a schoolboy player <clears throat> and off the back of that Man United come and watch me play in a game played quite well was invited up for a trial and at the end of the trial was asked to sign for the club so it was um, a dream come true for a 14 year old boy and then from that point on I'd spend all my school holidays in Manchester and go up there every weekend so it was um quite a strange childhood in terms of travelling from Cambridge to Manchester every weekend, but a, a thoroughly enjoyable one as well. I bet, I bet it was. And another 14-year-old kid especially. And was that the moment that you that you realised that, that this was real? Because, or, or, or did you not really believe that it was going to happen until you signed that contract with Manchester United? Like, what was the point where you thought, I'm, I'm in, I'm a pro footballer? Yeah, I don't think, I think during my, as a child, I always assumed I was going to be a footballer, not in a an arrogant or egotistical way. I, because of where I lived in a tiny village in South Cambridge, weren't exactly a hotbed of fantastic <laughs> young players. So I was always the best player or stood out a lot. So I just thought that would be the case the whole way through. So when I went up to United, I probably didn't really believe that I'd, play for the first team at United but I never had any doubt that I would play professional football as my chosen career that's what I'd do I certainly lauded it up at school wearing me Man United stuff every day and letting everyone knew that I played for Man United but it was um, an incredible time an incredible time Oh mate, I, I I'm obviously jealous. It's every kid's dream, and and to become a footballer, and and also it's, it's it was at, at that time, especially every kid's dream to to play for Manchester United. And obviously, we can't do this podcast without without talking ab- about Manchester United. What was it like, honestly, rubbing shoulders with the likes of Barthez, Stam, Beckham, Giggs, Scholes, York? The 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 list goes on. What was it like, actually? training with those guys, being behind the scenes of them. And actually, my, my question is, who did you learn the most off as a youngster going through the ranks at Manchester United? Um, like It was mad, obviously, the players that you, you mentioned there to, to look back and to have played with them and trained with them every day. As a, as a youngster coming through, I was incredibly shy, timid. I weren't comfortable at all around these big superstars and a youth team player. I didn't... All the other lads were desperate to train with the first team. I didn't want to. I'd hide in the toilet, so I didn't have to because wow. I was more, more comfortable 
training with me up with my peers, the players that I was comfortable with. It was when I came back from my loan in Belgium at Royal Antwerp and I was sort of thrown straight in the first team. And that was a season where I was lucky enough to to win the Premier League. And it was like it was a whirlwind. I'd wake up every morning and pinch myself going into to play with these players day in, day out, and sort of having to be on it every day, fighting and striving to to stay at the same level as these guys. I think in terms of the players I learned from most, there was there was a whole array of them, really. I was that fortunate. Obviously, what was required, someone like Roy, Roy Keane, in terms of the attitude and drive that he had every single day in training, the sort of positions that I played on the right or the left wing, like working with David Beckham and Ryan Giggs every day and just seeing their quality. It was, um, like I say, it was a surreal surreal oh. experience and something I look back on now and just think, wow, really. I don't think you appreciate things quite as much as a, as a young boy growing up, but looking back now, it was um, an incredible thing to have done. We, we hear many a tale about actually about how the the, the national team was, was almost hindered by almost these cults within the big clubs. And and actually, at Manchester United, it was a cult, wasn't it? You had Roy Keane, you know, David Beckham, Gary Neville, huge characters. And I actually read before this podcast, Luke, that you actually had a, a, a very healthy relationship with Roy Keane, didn't you? And I think that he was he was quoted as saying that he enjoyed playing with you because you worked really hard. What what do you is Roy Keane that much of a nutter? Like, is he actually how he is on TV? He's he's an incredible man and the ultimate captain in terms of a leadership and what he'd done for that dressing room. He was, I remember coming back and sort of training with the first team for the first time and sort of being a sl bit sloppy, giving the ball away. And he just like, he went like just shouting at me. And I thought, Oh my God, what have I let myself into now? And he, he demanded them standards off everyone, whether it was a young kid like me or a seasoned pro like Ryan Giggs, if they weren't on it, he'd let them know. At the same time, he was he was so supportive off the pitch, like in the dressing room to to all the players, but for the young players in particular who were obviously coming through, he'd do all he could to help them and support them. I, there was a, I couldn't drive at the time, and he'd he'd go out his way and pick me up from a flat, take me to play. Oh, wow. It was um, <clears throat> an absolute joy to play with. But it, me and the other lads, we used to do a little five aside at the end of every training session. And me and the lads used to say to each other, I hope I ain't on Keeney's team today because if you, <laughs> if you didn't win that game, you're in big, big trouble. And you'd, you'd have the hump with you for a few days after that. So it was, oh, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because you'd actually say that you want him on your team because he's he's the definitive uh, captain. He's the ultimate leader. But yet you're saying, you know what? No, thanks. I'd rather not have the hassle. You, with, you, with you didn't want to take that chance. If you won the game, it was all fine. But he was such... A winner like training was just as important yeah. as the game on the Saturday so it was um intense particularly for me who probably weren't quite as good as the other lads I was quite happy just sliding onto the other team and if we got beat fair news but, but but what was it like being on the other team and coming up against the Roy Keane challenge I mean I don't know if I want to be on the other team either <laughs> yeah, but I think that was that was what made Man United so successful not just Roy Keane but every, like training was was so intense because I was obviously one of the lads that didn't play a huge amount. So I'd be involved in every training session. And it was like at the end of the season, like mentally and physically, I was 
absolutely were... exhausted because <laughs> I was going from Antwerp where I could sort of stroll around and still be quite effective to going to Man United where like you had to be on it and you had to like working as hard as you can was the bare minimum to be fair and it was um, an incredible learning experience not just in football but in for life in general and, and another player that I do want to talk about before we move on to, to the manager of course is, is Gary Neville we see a lot of him on TV now and I think he's one of the best pundits about super intelligent guy but but what was he like behind the scenes at the time? Like was he like he must have been also a a top man, a, a good character. But is there a side to to, to Gary Neville that, that that we didn't see at Manchester United? I think the word that most people had described Gary Neville as was busy. Whereas busy can be sometimes described in a negative way. But yeah. people like him are worth their weight in gold in every dressing room because he was opinionated. He was involved in everything, but he was so important to that dressing room in terms of what he'd done on the pitch and off the pitch. In terms, like If there's any, ever anything to organise, he'd be there doing it, the PFA, rap, all that sort of thing. He'd be involved in everything. But you need them people in a dressing room because they help drag it along and move it on. And when things aren't going well, he's someone like always enthusiastic. Like You could see that he just loved being at that football club, like a massive fan. And he was... Again, a wonderful part of that squad at the time of what was such an incredible football team. And, and and the reason why it was such an incredible football team, in my opinion, wasn't just the players. It was the gaffer. And obviously, you played under Sir Alex Ferguson. When did you first meet him? And, and what conversation do you remember the most with Sir Alex Ferguson? Like the man is an absolute genius. It's a privilege to say that I ever spoke to him once. I spoke about going up to, to Man United for that trial as a 14-year-old boy. I got the train back, took me about four hours. My mum picked me up from the village Meldriff where I live from the train station there, got in the car and my mum said to me that Sir Alex, well, Alex Ferguson at the time had phoned her up that afternoon to ask her permission for me to sign for the club. And that was the details that he'd go to, it weren't just me he'd do that for, it'd be all the young players. The way he treated people was the genius of him. He, he'd treat the dinner ladies and the kit men with just as much respect as he'd treat Roy Keane or David Beckham. He had everyone at the football club pulling in the same direction. And if you get that in any organisation, you're going to find success. And he was a genius of it. He, you wanted to work harder than you ever thought you possibly could for the man and if he said well done to you there was never a feeling like it it made their wow. hairs on the back of your neck stand up and it like people talk about the the hairdryer treatment what was it scary and that sort of thing and it, it was scary if he shouted at you did you get it a couple of times he <clears throat> he had a pop at me but it weren't obviously that feeling was scary but the feeling that you'd let him down the man that you you all you ever wanted to do was impress it was the worst feeling in the world <clears throat> excuse me what would he put him up for though luke there was a couple of times there was one time where i went to a a christmas party when there was a reserve game the a day or two after <laughs> and i got somehow got found out which we he weren't happy about it was actually the day at Carrington, they have a Christmas dinner every year where the staff will serve the um, the players their dinner. And he'd had a pop at me. He said that he was finding me two weeks' wages. And I was bloody, obviously, gutted that he told me off. 
that he was serving soup and he saw me slam my soup down on the table in front of me and said, that would be the most expensive bowl of soup you ever eat. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely superb. Now, Luke, we could talk about United all day, but, but let's get into what the Norwich City fans want to hear now. How did the move to Norwich come about and, and, and happen? What were the conversations? Because Peter Grant actually originally got you in on loan. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, so I was at Stoke at the time. This, that summer before I, Nigel Worthington was a manager in Norwich and they tried to buy me and Ooh. I was yeah I was sort of desperate to move because I'm from Cambridge I was playing for Stoke I had a young family that were back in Cambridge and I was sort of spending half the time in Cambridge half the time in Stoke I loved being at Stoke but it just weren't from a personal point of view it was it was really tough so I went to, to Tony Pulis, who had just taken over back at back over as manager at Stoke and said, look, this is a situation I'd really appreciate going there. And he said like he was Tony Pulis is an incredible man. Again, he sort of said that you're a big part of my plans. I've just taken over. It's I can't let you go because they were short of players and how it had looked to the crowd and whatnot. So he said, I'll try and look after you, just do your best for me. And we'll see what we can do later in the season. So I worked hard, played for Stoke. Remember playing against Norwich just before I signed and, and scoring a goal. And Grant, he had just taken over. And he was Alan Pardew's assistant manager when I was playing for West Ham. So I had a previous relationship with him. I had a brief chat with him after the game at Stoke where he sort of said that he was interested. And then the loan move came about. Stoke got some new players in. So it was possible for me to to sort of come back down south. And I was absolutely buzzing because Norwich is with a, a local team, a team that I went to watch at times as a kid when Cambridge weren't at home and sort of it, a no. massive club that I was absolutely buzzing to sign for. It was like sort of the dream move in terms of a club near me, massive club with high ambition. So it was, it was a great move for me and I was delighted to come and sign. Did you, um, I've never asked this question before, and I wonder if you remember it. Did you have an initiation at Norwich? And and do you remember that? I don't think, I, I don't have an, didn't have an initiation at Norwich. The reason for that is probably, I came down, trained Friday, Saturday. We didn't stay in a hotel. We went to Portman Road on the Sunday for the game. So there were, and then after that, they never see me again. So I was injured after there. So there was never that opportunity to, to get me. Um, I would have enjoyed that as well because I've got quite a, a good singing voice. So I would have done. What's your go-to song, Luke? What, what would it have been? I think it would have been Robbie Williams' Angels. I think I've got that <laughs> down to a T now. <laughs> I've seen <it> away. <laughs> uh, Luke, Now let's talk about that. You, you've done a brilliant segue bridge there. Thank you for that for doing that. It's almost like you've done media before. Let's talk about your debut for Norwich City. Of course, it was only against Ipswich Town at Portaloo Road. What were your emotions running onto the pitch in yellow and green for the first time? And of course, you know, scoring a, a goal to, to obviously at the time take the lead in the game as well. What what was that like? Yeah, I was like the first, it, it was perfect, really. The the first game against Ipswich at Portman Road would have been better if it was at Carroll Road, but to play in such a, a massive game as my debut and then scoring a goal. Fans were singing my name. I'm thinking, <clears throat> what a move. I'm absolutely buzzing. 
to be here scoring a goal. And then it all turned into an absolute nightmare with about 10 minutes to go where the, the dream certainly turned sour. Yeah, and, and that and that was what I was gonna gonna say to you, Luke, actually. Um it, it was town fullback Matthew Bates that that absolutely had you out. Um, you know, you actually collided with the advertising board and and Peter Grant after that game actually made a point of saying that Ipswich had the advertising boards too close to the pitch. Is that true? What what actually what happened? It just described that moment that the the, the original tackle colliding into the boards and and when you were of course, on the stretcher, looking up at the sky, did you realise in that moment that it was going to derail your Norwich career as much as it did? Probably not at that moment. I knew it was bad because I was in agony. I think <clears throat> I remember, to, I, think, I don't know if I was trying to shield the, shield the ball out of play or something, or and then the guys come and sort of barge me from the back and I've gone flying off the pitch. I don't remember what I hit or anything like that, but I was sort of winded when you got that horrible feeling when you're winded and you're, you're trying to get your breath back. So I got my breath back and I had a problem with my shoulder and it had come out a joint as well. So I managed to put that back into joint. So I'm obviously in a lot of pain thinking about my shoulder. And then Adam Jury come behind me and said, don't look down. So immediately I looked down and I just see a gaping hole in my knee and that there was bone visible and it was, it was disgusting. And then sort of the, the pain of that hit and it was it was agony, really. Then they obviously got me on the stretcher. And while they get me on the stretcher, I'm getting dog's abuse off the off the Ipswich fans. They carry me around the pitch. I remember it distinctly. They nearly dropped me off the off the stretcher. It sort of span and I was sort of holding on. My shoulder was in turmoil. It was a, oh, a horrible, horrible time. Then I got back into the like the medical room at, at Portman Road. The the doctors trying to stitch up the knee to stop the chance of infection but the, the the hole's just too wide and there's no way of of stitching it and I remember I was high on the old gas and air like getting and then all of a sudden I just start I remember just lying there I sat with the the masseuse at Norwich Joe and I just started crying I just couldn't stop crying I just thought the whole emotion of playing my debut against Ipswich scoring a goal then ending up here and I remember then just going them take wheeling me to an ambulance and I was in Ipswich General Hospital for the next couple of nights because of the the worry of infection and that sort of thing. It was a, a weird injury as well. It was saying that the doctors said it was more something that they'd see in a car crash where legs get in that position and they sort of cut wow. it like that and open up. So it was um it was horrible. Horrible. I remember I had a a couple of nights in Ipswich hospital my little lads didn't want to come and see me because they saw the the injury on the telly. Oh, they showed me, so they were all upset as well. So it was, um, yeah, it was certainly that dream turned mm. into a into a nightmare over that that few days. What? Where was your head at for the? Where was your head at the week after and the week after that and the month after that? Like, I can't imagine just the the mental strain that would have put you under. And, and obviously you've said there, you know, coming off the pitch, you're with the masseuse and you burst in tears, but almost that's, that's adrenaline more than anything, actually yeah. given the gas and air, given the the, 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 the horrible pain you were going through. But what about the period after Lou? Like, and, and how, how did you actually integrate in that Norwich squad? Because you've said you kind of didn't. And, and what was that like? Yeah, it was a, a tough few months to be fair, because the, the swelling on my knee was 
Like it was ridiculous how swollen the knee was. And I, early on, the first couple of weeks, in my head, it was just a cut. As soon as the swelling goes down, I'll be able to go and play again. <clears throat> but it, it just took forever to get better. And I ended up, I'd, I'd hardly go into Norwich because I couldn't train. And obviously, I've just signed for the club. And it was the worst thing about that injury was it wasn't like a cruciate where you'd, you've got a time scale and you it, sort of, you've got yeah. a plan. It was just a case of the swelling had to go down, but the swelling just wouldn't go down for months on end. So what I thought would be six, eight weeks maximum to get the swelling down turned into two months and three months and four months. And then like after more scans, there was, they found there was tiny micro fractures in the, in the knee. So it just, the worst thing about it was not knowing. Mm. Like there was times thinking, like I'm finished. I'm not going to get back. The swelling's never going to go down. Like fortunately, at the end, I managed to get back. But it was yeah. um, that it was without doubt the worst injury I've ever had in terms of just not knowing in my mind when I'd be able to to get back out there on the pitch. Was there a part of you that had the red mist, Luke? Was there a part of you that wanted to go to Matthew Bates and say, "Or oh, you, Jimmy?" you're in trouble. Like, was there a part of you that was just really angry that this guy has basically ruined your dream move? Never, to be like, never. And I, I can understand if there was a bit, I don't know, I, like, I basically came to Norwich during the, the last time I was there. We never spoke about it, but he was like a nice lad. I've never had that in terms of anger. I, like, I've never blamed anyone else for what's happened to me. It's just like, it's part and parcel of playing football. It's just, Something I ain't got in me. I probably um, should have a bit more of that in me. No, I don't know. I, I totally respect it, Luke. I, I admire that. I mean, for me, if an Ipswich player does that to me and I'm a Norwich boy, you know, potentially it's because it's it's not that pure Norwich heart in you. But if that if that's an Ipswich player for me, I'm I'm not happy. I'm I'm asking for an apology. I'm going after him afterwards. So fair play to you, Luke. Fair play. Um, right, that Norwich squad in 2006-2007 was not on the level of your Manchester United squad that you're hanging about with, but still some real massive characters in there uh, at Norwich City and arguably a squad that massively under underachieved because of, um, you know, the, the, the calibre of players that we had. Um, you know, Gary Doherty, Fozzie, Dixon and Tuhu, Robert Earnshaw with his with his uh, with his cartwheel flip celebration, Dion Dublin. What what do you remember of, of that squad that you were in and around at Norwich City? It was it was such a, a great dressing room, probably one of the, the friendliest, most welcoming dressing rooms I've ever been in. It was full of fantastic people. I, w I was starstruck because Dion was my hero when I was a kid, obviously a big Cambridge United fan. So to United as well, yeah. Yeah, to actually play with him was was incredible. Coming to the end of his career, but still a fantastic player. Like there were some great players in that squad. Like obviously Darren Huckabee was there, he was a fantastic, like a legend at Norwich City. The, the players you mentioned there, some real top, top players, great characters, characters as well. So it was a real, like a real family. Norwich was a real family club. Like even when I got a bad injury at the start, they still signed. I was only on loan, but they still signed me because that was the agreement before. It would have been well within their rights to say he's injured now. Wow. He can go back to Stoke. But the, the support that myself, and family was shown even during that injury was something I'll be forever thankful for. It was it's a proper football club and a 
it was a great place to be. Not for me personally on the pitch, but like I'm, I'm pleased that I played for Norwich City. I, I love to hear that. I, and actually, I was going to ask you, um, you know, about you know how frustrated you were, but it's very evident that you were, and it must have been more frustrating because of the players that were there, Luke. Like as you say, your hero Dion Dublin is in that camp. Darren Huckby is there and is in that camp, and you were well. Were you even on the sidelines? Like, were you at Col- like were you hanging about at Colney or, or or and and when you actually eventually integrated in that squad, Luke, was it actually quite difficult to actually get into that group or not? Because you said it was a friendly changing room, but was it friendly? Yeah, what well, to be fair, I did it. Uh, it certainly helped the the many a night out in Norwich City Centre. It certainly <laughs> built some camaraderie, but it was um like it was easy to fit into that dressing room. Like I, it was such great characters there. There was no sort of clicks or anything like that. It was one of the, I, I wouldn't say I've not fitted into any dressing room, but Norwich was, even though I was out injured and I think obviously there was a certain amount of empathy towards me because, mm-hmm. because I'd come in and got a serious injury in my first game. And I, I fitted, I was certainly at Conley a lot. Neil, the physio had me there about, eight, nine hours a day, I reckon, in that bloody swimming pool at UEA doing lengths and that sort of thing. But it was um, it was um, a great club, a great set of lads, great, great staff, but didn't, like you say there, without a doubt, didn't fulfil its potential yeah. in my time there. And 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 there's a one man I really want to talk about with you, Luke, which is Peter Grant. Now, a lot of Norwich fans don't look back fondly at his time at the club understandably so because we didn't achieve um of course he left slash got sacked um i think he actually probably left um but i'm sure you could lift some some light onto that um what was peter grant like because you actually had a really good relationship with him and obviously he wanted you for a while you you knew him from before so what was he like as, as a as a bloke before a manager what was he actually like top man like i one of the reasons i signed there obviously because of who it was and where it was but knowing granty from my time at west ham and he was like he's a brilliant human being i think it was his first job in management and he was so desperate to do well i think sometimes that can that can hinder you to a certain extent and things never worked out there for him which was a real shame mm-hmm. because of obviously a former player a really good reputation at the club and it was a it was a real shame that things didn't work out for Grant. Obviously, the players, myself included, could have done more at the time, but it just never, it never clicked in a way that that saw the club had success. But as a human being, I couldn't speak any highly of him. He was a, a brilliant fella. It's fascinating to hear that. Thanks for for, for sharing that, Luke. And on the fourth of October, you actually left Norwich for MK Dons. Did you did you think that that was the the right time to move on? Did you did you actually think I'm just not going to break in at Norwich now because of the injury because of everything that's happened? Like, did you want to go to MK Dons? Yeah, I think the time at Norwich it was such a nightmare on the pitch for me. Every time I get a game, I get injured again. I, I just it just didn't seem to be working there, and I think in my head I just wanted a a fresh start, try and do something different and and see how that goes because it never really, in my head, I just thought it was sort of a poison chalice. Nothing's really working out for me at Norwich so to try something else. It weren't a case of leaving because I didn't like the club or anything like that. It was, it was for me and just to, to try something different. 
Good. No, that's that. That's good to hear because I wouldn't want any bad blood between you and Norwich City, yeah. mate. And um, if you if you were to look back on your time at Norwich, what what sort of emotions come up in in your head when you look back at your time at Norwich? Um, I don't like having regrets. I don't like thinking back. I think every in my mind, everything happens for a reason. Although it was, I by no means excelled on the pitch and probably let the club down to a certain extent to what I did do on the pitch. I think it made me a stronger person being at Norwich, going through the injury that sort of the resilience needed to carry on, even when you think all hope was gone. So I, I look back on Norwich with positive memories. I still remember when I was on my crutches, they invited myself, wife and family to a kid's Christmas party at Coney. And it, I just remember it as a, a wonderful family football club that I enjoyed playing for, but wish I was in a position where I could have played more and excelled on the pitch. Very good to hear. Very good to hear. And if you were to summarise your career now, because obviously now you've hung up your boots, what's the single moment that you've gone, yeah, that was the proudest moment for me as a, as a footballer? Yeah, without a doubt, it was scoring a goal for Cambridge United towards the end of my career. It was That was my <laughs> fantasy. Hang on, Luke. You've, won the, you've, you've lifted the Premier League title at Old Trafford. Yeah, I've, obviously that's incredible. I don't think... I played a huge part in I think if I weren't there, that team probably probably still would have won the Premier League <laughs> that season. But I, at the same time, I don't think as a youngster, you don't maybe appreciate things as much. I remember playing football in my garden where I live as from the age of probably nine, well, probably younger than that, from seven till about 16, because I was a bit of a strange child at 16, still out in the garden fantasising about playing for Cambridge and scoring a goal at the Abbey Stadium. When I, when I actually done it, I remember running off to the crowd and then the lad sort of cuddling me and then walking back to the halfway line. I thought, I'm going to start crying here. And I'm not a, a hugely emotional person. I thought I needed to pull myself together. I'd have been crying my eyes out on the on the pitch against Southport in a, a blue square premier game or whatever it was. But that was that is the, the thing that I'm most proud of scoring at the new market road end for Cambridge. I love that league. And and what that says to me is you're a proper football fan. You're yeah. not blinded by the by the glory of Manchester United. You you're a Cambridge United boy through and through and to score for your club was the pinnacle. And I absolutely love that. Luke, on the flip side of this now, you've obviously been through some really tough times over the years. Um, and and on the TNC podcast we've we've recently spoken to Darren Eady about um, his challenges around mental health. We've spoken to Brian Gunn about the loss of his daughter. And one of the things I'd like to speak to you about, if it's okay and you feel comfortable enough to do so, is I want to talk to you about the fact that you've taken a lot of stick for your physical appearance. And you've, you've been quite public about that, which I really applaud you for. And um, how how did that make you feel? And when did that start happening? Because I, I think it was at Manchester United, I read, that that all started to come about. And at the time mental health probably wasn't well it wasn't talked about so how did you cope with having the mickey taken out of you for your physical appearance yeah well it was it was very hard stage in my life it was um when I first broke into Man United team obviously started getting more attention and I weren't comfortable with that really I was quite naive into the fact of what a footballer was all I ever wanted to do was play football and be a footballer I didn't ever really wanted to be famous. I weren't really that comfortable with people knowing who I was when I walked around the streets and that sort of thing. And it was, I, I didn't want attention. So when I got attention, the attention I got was around 
my appearance and the way that I looked on in the media, on TV shows, etc. And it like when I see it, the first time I ever saw something like that, it was a real feeling of mm-hmm. of embarrassment, like such a feeling of embarrassment and shame. I didn't, I was sort of, I hated it. I, I wanted, didn't want anyone else to have seen it. I just hated the feeling of people mm-hmm. laughing at me. There was obviously nothing in my mind that I could do to fight back. The way that I was back then as a as a 19, 20-year-old boy, I wasn't emotionally intelligent enough to to talk about my feelings and say that, like, this ain't right. It's, it's making me feel so bad. And at the same time, I thought it was it was my fault. It was my problem because it was such a, such a childish thing that, like, talking about my teeth or spots mm-hmm. on my face, like, why is this upsetting you? Why is it making you feel so bad? So I was a really sort of mixed up young man who didn't know how to deal with it. So just kept it all inside and never spoke about it to anyone, whether it be teammates, friends, family. I just, if anyone said anything, I'd sort of laugh along with it. And I don't bother me when, when inside it was, it was a horrible feeling really. Did you, do you think that, do you actually think Luke, you'd go as far as saying that that actually really affected your career? Because keeping that, inside you for that many years is is horrible mate yeah I don't I wouldn't say it affected my football career in terms of football was the release football was sort of the getaway when I was playing football all that mattered was football because I loved it all I ever wanted to do was play football I'd say where it did negative effect affect me would be obviously at Man United at the time it should have been the best time of my life on and off the pitch, but it sort of caused huge anxiety to the fact where I was obsessed of not going out the flat unless it was to football because people would point at me and laugh and shout things at me in the street. When in reality, I'd like to think that probably wouldn't happen, but my whole mind was obsessed with that fact that I was just mm. someone to laugh at. It was never, it weren't about what I was like as a footballer, whether a good one or a bad one. It was just purely about the way that I looked on the outside. Thanks for opening up about that, Luke. I really appreciate it. And um, I think it's, you know, all strength to you and, and this will give strength to a lot of people. And and one of the things I really wanted to ask you to make sure our Talk Norisity viewers get even more value from this podcast is what would you say to, to youngsters that are getting grief about the way they look now? And what would you say to people that look in the mirror and, and aren't content with the way they look? Like, what would you actually say to them? What do they, what do they, how do they, how, how do they handle and cope with those feelings around their physical appearance? I think the best way to deal with things is to sort of understand your feelings and talking about your feelings to someone else. It's such a, a huge weight off your shoulder when you open up and talk about it. But don't get me wrong. I know that me saying that or anyone saying that doesn't make that any easier. It's easier just to say, just talk about your problems. If someone had said that to me at 19, 20, it would have made a blind bit of difference because of the way that that I was. I think it's just sort of that first time you do it, even if it's just talking to yourself in the mirror in a positive way and then getting the courage up to talk to someone else. Because like anything in life, once you've done something once, however awkward or strange it feels, it, it gets easier the more that you do it. So the advice that I would give would obviously be talk about your problems, but that isn't going to help a huge amount unless you can bring yourself to do that. But it does, once you are prepared to do that and you do that continually, it does get easier. And it is 
such a relief and such a weight off your shoulders. Yeah, no, brilliant, Luke. I, I couldn't agree more. What, 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 what the hell are you up to these days? Now, now, now you're not playing. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> so at the minute, I'm involved in an organisation called the the Football Fun Factory, which, as the name suggests, is around football being fun. It's programmes from for children between brilliant. two to twelve years old, and it's it's a real rewarding role. We're not a development centre. We're not getting players into academies or anything like that. It purely is just around kids that are having fun, boys and girls of all abilities, and using football as a as a vehicle to develop positive life skills like teamwork, communication, sportsmanship, even more so than helping them score a goal with their left foot or an overhead kick or anything like that. So it's really, it's something completely different to what I've ever done before, obviously spending my whole life in professional football, but something I'm really thoroughly enjoying at the moment. Absolutely love that. Where where do you want to go in the future, Luke? Like, do you see yourself as a as a as a Russell Martin, for example, you know, becoming a manager at MK Dons. Do you, do you think that you'll become a manager one day, or are you happy where you are? What where do you want to go? What do you want to achieve for the rest of your life? Yeah, I'm not interested in being a manager. Really, I think I, I it was a real struggle for me when I finished football in terms of that acceptance of you're not a footballer any anymore. Sort of knowing where I stand in the world and what do I do now? My time sort of fell into coaching. Mm done all my coaching qualifications, ended up working at a professional football club within the academy. And but I were it should have in my mind, that's what old footballers do. They just become coaches. And I, I didn't love it. I like I look at some of the coaches and they absolutely love coaching. I'd get sick of the sound of my own voice shouting on the side of the pit. So to to be completely honest, I'm I'm happier out of I've loved my journey in professional football and I'm so grateful to do it but I'm I feel happier like stepping outside of that bubble stepping outside my comfort zone and trying to do different things like obviously still in football but yeah. a, a, a long way removed from that elite side of the game focusing on fun not taking it so seriously Luke and um, lastly there's thousands of Norwich fans uh, watching and listening to this all over the world right now. We're very blessed to have such a fantastic community here. Do you have a message to those Norwich fans that 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 that, that chanted your name at Ipswich on your debut? Uh, just a, a massive thank you, really. Like the fans were always, it was always such a good crowd at Norwich, no matter how we were, were doing in the league, how we were playing, they always stuck behind us and it was always a full house at Carroll Road. So I'd I, the few times that I did actually play, it was a an absolute pleasure playing at Carroll Road. And even for opposition, it was a place I'd always love to go because the fans, how committed they were to the team, whether they're doing well or doing badly, they were always absolutely fantastic. Love to hear that. Luke, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time today. And a massive thank you to everyone that's watching and listening to this right now. We really appreciate it. Luke, Thank you for choosing Talk Norris City to share your Talk Norris City and, and, and show vulnerability and open up and be honest. I really appreciate it. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to give it a thumbs up. Don't forget to leave us a comment. Don't forget to subscribe, subscribe to us on, on iTunes, everywhere. Just, just, just follow Talk Norris City. Now, Luke, there's only one thing left to say. What is it? On the ball, City. On the ball, City. Cheers, Luke.